This is a production of Money Honey Media. All advice in this podcast is general in nature. It should not be applied to your personal circumstances without first discussing with a tax professional. Money Honey Media would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands on which this podcast is recorded and produced. We pay our respects to elders both past, present and future and to all Aboriginal people who are listening to this podcast. Jay McCauley. Welcome to the Accidental Bookkeeper podcast, where we have fun unpacking the boring but necessary things you need to know to run your small business. On this week's episode, we talk about the new gender pay gap report that came out this week. Tax three, stage three tax cuts have been confirmed, and we're going to talk about how the ATO use artificial intelligence to pick to a target. Okay, now you've probably realised it's just me. Jade has left, as we discussed last week, so she's gone on way for a year. So uh, this is the last of the Accidental Keeper podcast in the format that you're kind of used to. We're going to change that up from next week. So what we're going to do is I'm still going to do a weekly wrap, uh, similar to what I do now, without the table of knowledge at the end. So I'll just be talking about some of the latest stories that have been happening in the week. And I'll also give you some things that I think you need to look at this week. So going back to basics of what it is as a bookkeeper that you might need to be looking at. So we'll be doing that episode. It'll be coming out on a Monday. It will be shorter than the normal episodes because I won't have the table of knowledge section in it. And that will just be me. And then later in the week, as we normally do, we drop an episode on a Friday. We're going to have a few different table of knowledge kind of episodes. So one of them will be with my um, business partner in Evaluate Your Business, Martin Lowe. We're going to be talking about things that are probably more of an advisory nature, um, particularly about wellness and um, mindsets and things like that with regard to business. I'll also have another episode that will be coming out uh, with Deanne Baranoff, who has worked for Jigsaw for many, many years. Uh, In fact, Deanne and I have known each other since like kindergarten. Um, And we run our Opal plan management business together. So we're going to be running a um, series on the NDIS businesses. And hopefully, I know not everyone's in NDIS business, but hopefully even those those who aren't in NDIS business will get something out of it because they are businesses and we're going to be talking about how business should work. We have noticed that NDIS businesses can be either incredibly successful or be a little bit overwhelmed with everything that's going on and we just think that it'll be good to focus on that. And then the third area of our of our. Um, table of knowledge section will be with a friend of mine called Alicia Evans who is a business owner herself she's also a TAFE teacher and an accountant and she's going to join me to talk about probably more of the compliance type stuff that we've talked about in the past so we'll be cycling through through those episodes um, on a sort of every three weeks or so we all have a different like you know so it'll be one week of advisory one week of, week of NDIS one week of um, Alicia's episodes <laughs> and we'll also have a few special episodes in between as well where we might do a few more series like we've done in the past like we did the Julia Gillard one um, and Joel probably will, will join me on those ones so So there you go. Hopefully that will keep you excited about listening to the podcast. We want to make sure it's still relevant, but also fun to listen to because listening to me talk for a year on my own is probably going to be very boring. So I will try my best to keep it light. 
Okay, so hopefully that's explained that. Now, let's just get on with, um, I have got one recommendation. It's only me this week. So Joel was going to send me a recommendation, but I don't think he has. And if he has, I have no idea what it is. So he has been playing video games this week. So his recommendation is a video game and um, he can probably put it in the show notes for you. But my recommendation for the week is I listened to the audiobook Lola in the Mirror by Trent Dalton. Um, I, I know a lot of people do like Trent Dalton books and we've all recently watched Boys Blues Universe. Um, his books are very interesting. I, I listened to it on audiobook. I was actually driving when it got to some of the critical parts and I thought, oh my God, I don't know if I should pull over. It's quite, It was quite full on but I really, really enjoyed the book. So I highly recommend if you like books that aren't necessarily um, just your mainstream romantic or full-on thriller, they're, they're a kind of a combination and, of, of course, it's set in Australia so it's always good to listen to something that, um, particularly for Brisbane, this is a Brisbane book so I don't know Brisbane that well but I certainly recognise some of the some of the things that they were talking about but I'm sure if you were from Brisbane it would make a lot more sense. Okay, let's get on with the weekly wrap. And last week Joel um, had his recommendation was about the Four Corners report of um, – Wilbur's and Coles and he talked about uh, the price gouging and all that sort of stuff and quite quickly after our, our um, podcast um, recording last week Brad Banducci who is the CEO of Woolworths who Joel said in that episode walked out of the Four Corners episode because some of the questions were asked or there was a particular question that was asked that he didn't think he answered well he asked if they could pull that out of it and they said well this is an interview no we won't so then he got up and stood up and walked away um, he's actually decided he's retiring as CEO of Woolworths so he has been in that position for eight years and he'll be retiring in September. Um, interestingly, this week it is also uh, reporting season, so the profits for both Woolworths and Coles have been reported in the last week. Woolworths um, came out, I mean, they've both had good profits but they were less than in previous periods, which is as, you know, probably, well, they, I wouldn't say they were less but they sort of, highlighted how their profit margin is not very big. So Woolworths profit margin is 6% and apparently Coles, which came out yesterday, was like only 3%. So even though they're saying, you know, people are saying there's lots of price gouging, I'm guessing there is other people who might also be making money in between. It's not just straight from the farmer to Woolworths or Coles. There are um, distributors in between uh, and like while these are very, very profitable businesses without doubt, um, I think they're sort of arguing that the price gouging is not necessarily just coming through from them. So Brad Banducci will be replaced by Amanda Bardwell. She will start in September and it'll be interesting to see how Woolworths goes under her charge. Now, the next big story that came out pretty much yesterday uh, was a report under the gender pay gap. Now, this is a report, it's the first one that's actually been released and it's been, um, it's from the Workplace Gender Equality Agency. Now, this has been around for a while and they have been collecting data for a while, but the thing that they've done this time that was different, which they did, we have talked about in the podcast before, was that the reports will now actually talk about name like they'll actually name the businesses so they anyone who employ, more than 100 employees was required to report the, the gender pay gap and these have been published now obviously some of them um you know have been focused on a lot more than others there's lots of businesses with more than 100 employees just to confirm what the 
gender pay gap is though, it's not that people are getting paid different amounts for the same job. That is illegal. So you can't say, well, this person um, does this job and this person does exactly the same job. One's a female, one's a male. We're going to pay the male more. That's illegal. You're not allowed to do that. But what it does is it looks at the overall business and it looks at the males in the business and the females in the business. Um, If their people, any emails or females are part-time, they take them up to full-time equivalent. So uh, we're not like discounting for for the fact that they're part-time. And then they look at what the overall pay is for males versus the overall pay for females. Now, I think it's a good starting point. Now, some of the, you know, obviously the headlines are, you know, that nine, the actual gender pay gap is, is actually 19, it's 14.5% overall, um, but if you take into account overtime and bonuses, it's 19%. So that sounds like a pretty scary figure. And then we go down to some of the businesses and look at what's actually happening in each business. Now, when you think about it, what we're trying to see is, are women having the lower paid jobs and are men having the higher paid jobs? And then, you know, they're looking at different industries and, and what have you. So some interesting figures. It also, in my mind, is a good starting point because we now know. Um, so one of the bigger ones that came came out, or some of the, you know, let's go back to some of these figures, shall we? So some of the biggest businesses, now of the ASX 200 like listed companies, the one that was the top of the list for, for the worst gender pay gap um, breakdown was A2 Milk. And I'll talk about that in a minute. And, and their gender pay gap was 40.5%. Qantas came in number four at 37%. And Commonwealth Bank was the worst of the banks. And that came in at 29.9%. The construction industry overall was the highest um, industry with a gender pay gap, which probably isn't all that surprising in all honesty. Um, it was 31.8%. Uh, professional services and like other financial services came in in second rank and that was 26.1%. The lowest industry for or the industry with the lowest gender pay gap was the accommodation food and services, which is 1.9%. Now, there are actually some companies out there that came in with a gender pay gap that was a negative, which uh, there wasn't too many of them, but there definitely were some there. Uh, and the... Um, the other thing that was sort of surprising, though, there are a couple of, of the retail industries, um, businesses, particularly ones that were female-centric, um, some of those clothing industry or companies that we would know of as being very female, you know, clothing businesses that had really bad gender pay gaps. So that sort of was surprising. Now, you know, a lot of people have come out and said, right, well, thank you for letting us know what this is. We are working on this and we are trying to make this better. But it is really a lot of this is historical. You know, the management have been male. We're trying to bring females into the management. We're trying to make sure our workplace is more diverse. And uh, I did watch the 730 report last night where they had on the CEO of A2 Milk, which was the worst performing or the, you know, for the ASX 200 listed companies. And I was actually really interested to hear his comments. He, He first of all said, well, you know, this is Australia, we're a global business. We operate across a few different jurisdictions. And our global gender pay gap is not 40.5%, it's 15%. But their head office and that that is, is actually located in Australia. So a lot of their more sort of senior staff are males and they are in Australia, in the Australian business. So 
that's probably why it looks a lot worse than it potentially is. Um, he also did talk about what they're trying to do to address it and I thought it was very brave of him to go on there and talk about this and, you know, kudos to him for doing that and he, you know, as Sarah Ferguson said, well, we, we look forward to talking to you again at the end of the next time, like next year when this is released and I'm sure he'll be working really hard to make sure that that is a better result for them next year. So I guess it's a starting point, as I said, we always know that men do tend to get paid more than women um, and men do tend to hold senior positions more than women. But it is nice to see more and more women becoming, you know, CEOs, chairman of the board, moving into those managerial positions. There is obviously a culture that men are people are the people who do take those senior positions and that women do tend to take some time off work to have babies and raise their families. And, uh, you know, will it ever completely close? Probably not. But we should be working to make it better. All right, enough of that one. Our next story, um, I just want to talk about a couple of things happening um, with regard to TPARs and, and tax stuff. So um, on as of the uh, – so those of you who know what a TPAR is, it's Taxable Payment Annual Report. Now, we have been talking about these. They've been around for many years now, but people still don't really know what they are. If you're in certain industries, particularly the construction industry, but there's also other industries such as security, IT, cleaning, um, courier – there might be another one there I can't think of off the top of my head. But you do have to actually report any contractors who are working for you so that the ATO are aware of how much you've paid those people and they can do some data matching. Now, the last year they came out about this time of year and said, if you haven't lodged, we're going to start penalising you. They hadn't really in the past, but now they, they do. And last year they penalised, uh, they raised about $18 million worth of penalties on 11,000 businesses. They've come out now and said if you haven't lodged your TPAR for 2023 um, or previous years and you have had received at least three non-lodgement letters and you haven't lodged by the 22nd of March, they will be penalising you. So if you're not sure, please, please ask. Um, if you are on your business portal, uh, you'll see if you have non-lodgements and one, if they're TPARs, please ask about it. Uh, there, if you you either lodge it, which is your software program should be allowed, like give you the details of how to do that, or if you don't have any any contractors at all, you can lodge a non-lodgement, which you can do over the ATO as well, so they know that you have nothing to lodge. Now, just also on tax, because let's face it, that's an important part of our world. Uh, the stage three tax cuts did get passed last night through the Senate, so they are now law. Now, this is not the stage three tax cuts. This is the changes to the stage three tax cuts. We already had legislated the stage three tax cuts. As you will remember, a couple of weeks ago, the government, and if you didn't know about this, I don't know where you've been, the government decided to change those stage three tax cuts to cut them back a little bit from the top end and put them a little bit more into the bottom end. Um, and yes, it's all gone through Parliament, so they are now law and those new stage three tax cuts will come in from the 1st of July 2024, so only a few months away now. And um, I'm sure everyone will welcome having a little bit more money in their pay packet. Okay, I wanted to talk a little bit about um, Donald Trump. And I know I don't really want to focus too much on 
the election in America, although it's definitely going to be a, pol- a story that we're going to have to talk about. I, I mean, it's part of our world. Uh, even though we're not from the America, what happens there certainly has an impact on us. And we know the election's coming up and we know there's a lot going on. So I'm not going to focus too much on the election, but I do want to talk about a case that you might have heard about that sort of went through last week where Trump got found um, guilty on a civil uh, a civil case by the New York um, Attorney General. They brought that forward in regard to fraud. And it's quite an interesting way that they've dealt with this. Um, And I just wanted to kind of go through what happened there because I I find it really interesting. I also find it, and I'm certainly not defending Trump at all here, but I don't know that we would have this sort of case in Australia. Uh, I've never really heard of anything sort of similar and the penalties are, are quite severe. So anyway, let's talk about it. So this case was brought to, brought forward by the New York Attorney General and it was in relation to fraud. This is nothing to do with elections or anything else. Essentially what they've said is that Donald Trump inflated the value of his assets so that he could get more favourable loans. Now, if you think about it, when you go to the bank, you go and they say, what have you got? And you go, oh, I've got a house and it's worth, you know, $2 million and I've got like, you know, a car that's worth 40 you know, you just, and you tend to probably maybe exaggerate a little bit because you want to get the best loan you can. He's obviously got a lot of assets, like he's got a lot more than one house. He's got lots of um, real estate assets. And according to the New York Attorney General, the value he put on those assets was quite inflated. And because of that, he was able to get these, you know, better loans from the banks. Now, Who's missed out here? It's actually the banks. Like the banks have got, you know, lower interest rates on the loans than they probably would have otherwise. Um, Is that really something that is making everyone lose sleep at night? Probably not. But what? because he's being found guilty and because this is a civil case, the penalty is what they've done is they've looked at the shortfall and the shortfall they've come up with because of this fraudulent disclosure of how many the value of his assets is 355 million dollars now that's a pretty excessive and this is us dollars so you know when we convert it back to australian dollars we're talking a lot more than that 355 million dollars now of that they've calculated that 168 million is due to favorable interest savings so like this the interest he saved paying on by not having higher interest rates and the rest of that is because of the profits on the sale of two properties. Now, I'm not quite sure where that comes into it, but obviously there's some sort of fraud that he is that they think has happened there as well. Now, all of that then gets compounded because they apply interest. So all up, when you add the interest to it, it's $454 million US dollars, which is approximately $710 million Australian dollars. Now, even though he's a very rich guy he doesn't really have $454 million just sitting around in liquid assets to be able to pay this civil penalty. And how it works in the, in, um, the states with this sort of thing is if you don't – like he's going to appeal this, of course, and but you'd still have to pay the penalty first and then do the appeal. And the only way around that is to get a – bond so they do like it's like an insurance bond that someone essentially says look we will you know vouch that he's going to be able to pay this and if he doesn't we'll pay it for them for him um and that 
is, you know, I guess what he's going to have to try and do. But once, you know, if he goes through appeal and then he wins, then he doesn't have to pay the money, obviously, but you actually have to pay the money up front. So it's put him in a bit of a predicament because not only does he not have that $454 million sitting there, and it's a pretty big bond, so who is actually going to to put that forward for him? And I'm sure someone will. But the other thing that they've imposed on him is two other penalties, and one of those is that him and two of his sons are not able to run any of the Trump companies for the next two to three years. And then also they've put what's called a monitor into their company so that there's a, a person who's in there watching every decision they make to make sure they're not making more fraudulent decisions. So it is quite a restrictive penalty for something that, in my mind, doesn't sound like something that a lot of people don't already do. So anyway, um, you know, obviously is going to, the spin's going to be from the Democrats that he's not trustworthy, he's been convicted of fraud. Uh, the spin from the Trump is the Trump side is going to be that this is just a big, you know, a big um, case brought forward by the Democrats or because we know New York is a very democratic state um, and that they're trying to, again, ruin his chances of re-election. But anyway, I just thought I'd bring that to you because I thought it was quite an interesting story and, um, you know, love, love or hate Trump, I just wouldn't see this actually happening in this way in Australia. So, yeah, anyway, <laughs> that's why we leave you, hey? <laughs> and now for the Naughty Corner. Corner story for you this year, this time, and again, it's another big allegedly. Um, but it seems to be that we're having more and more of these stories coming out about different sort of construction industry companies that are going into liquidation, uh, and we're then finding that there was this elaborate sort of scheme of companies that have been like using labour hire or providing labour hire services, collapsing and withholding tax. So this one, the latest one, is a company that has been in liquidation for a little while now um, by the name of Dalma. And Dalma um, provide framework, uh, framework, so they're contractors who provide framework for big building projects, including some very big New South Wales government building projects for that matter. And they have gone, one of their businesses has gone into liquidation recently, and that's called Dalma Form Specialist Proprietary Limited. And and a liquidator was appointed, and that liquidator is Bruce Gleeson. Uh, I actually happened, full disclosure, I do know Bruce Gleeson, and I do have, I am friends with someone who works in his business and is a very high um, liquidator there as well. Um, Bruce, when he went in, he came in as the, you know, liquidator would in any other liquidation um, situation, you know, starts looking into what's going on. And he was um, – so when a liquidator comes in, what they do is they put together a report on what's happening and then they go to the creditors and the creditors decide whether they want that person to be the liquidator or if they want to appoint their own liquidator. The main creditor who was involved in this was the director called Igor Kikes um, and he is a fairly wealthy man. Um, he's the, you know, the biggest player in the Dalma group. And he said, yes, I want Bruce Gleeson to be the director, uh, the, the liquidator. 
Shortly after, the ATO have come forward and said, well, actually, we're looking at a tax fraud with this group. Um, we believe there's between $150 and $180 million worth of tax fraud that's happened within this group and we want to appoint our own liquidator. So they are wanting to appoint a guy called Steve Haffel- Stephen Hathaway um, and they're actually probably going to go to court to try and get that guy appointed. Now, all of that's probably not so relevant. The most important thing that we hear there is $150 to $180 million of tax fraud over the last 15 years. And they, of course, this is alleged, 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 but... Um, yeah, it does seem like the ATO have been investigating this for a while. They have about 30 entities that have um, collapsed and like gone into liquidation, collapsed, owing very little money to the ATO uh, or being able to negotiate that nothing is payable to the ATO. Uh, and, yeah, so it's, it's another big tax fraud out there. Now, apparently there have been complaints that Dalma Group were able to consistently quote between 15 and 20 percent lower when they were tendering for jobs well you know if you're not paying your taxes maybe that's why you can do that um but you know i guess we'll find out as this is this moves forward but this one's actually even bigger than the plutus one um it's also bigger than the titan cranes which we talked to you about uh, a couple of weeks ago and it just looks like there's a few um, people out there who are really trying to use that li- liquidation process to make money and, um, yeah, go from there. Now, this director, Ivan Kikes, he has over $40 million in properties in around Sydney, um, including both commercial and residential. He has about 12 properties. So he's a pretty wealthy man and um, it'll be interesting to see what happens with this case. And as I said, it's all alleged at the moment, but again, another breaking case with regard to a potential tax fraud. And now for the table of knowledge. All right, I thought I saw a story this week in the papers about how the ATO uses artificial intelligence. And I thought it'd be interesting to just have a bit of a look into that and maybe talk about that a little bit. Um, artificial intelligence is definitely a hot topic at the moment and um, it's not going anywhere that's for sure but it's been interesting that there's been some stories coming out recently from the ATO about how they're using that for good rather than um, evil (laughs) and that they're or not so much evil but you know what I mean like they're trying to use it for their benefit of the Australian taxpayer. So first of all, let's just start with what is AI because we all talk about it, but, you know, does anyone actually really understand what what it means or what AI is referring to? So artificial intelligence first sort of was touted in the 1950s, so it's actually not new. And it was defined as a machine's ability to perform a task that would have, have previously required human intelligence. Now, to understand what human intelligence is, uh, we need a definition of that, and that is the ability to adapt solve problems, plan, improvise and learn new things. So clearly um, if you're a computer, you what we you know it, it makes sense. A computer does a, pro- a process, it's taught how to do that through programming, but uh, is that computer able to com- to start to learn how to do that itself, not having a human person program it to do that. So in its simplest form, um, computer science and robust data sets are used to join together to solve problems. 
Now, we all know ChatGPT and that's probably been the thing that's highlighted artificial intelligence for us in the last few years or particularly last year. Um, It's gone over, you know, we just can't fathom how clever it can be. Of course, there's problems with it as well. That's what's called a um, natural language processing area. So what it's doing is it's learning how to speak our language. Um, It's sitting there, it's learning by reading lots and lots of data and it starts to find the patterns and it starts to learn how to speak English or Chinese or whatever, whatever language it is. It's also learning things that aren't linguistic so it starts to learn how molecules work and how other things work that aren't actually languages so it's, it's it's incredibly you know amazing what it can do so um recently there's been a couple of discussions about how the ato are using this and the person who's in charge of this at the ato is a guy by the name of marek rusinski rusinski i think that's how you say it um and he's the ato deputy commissioner of smarter data now Marek has come from Accenture, which is one of the biggest uh, consultancy firms in uh, um, Australia and probably in the world, in all honesty. Consultancy firms hire very smart people who are very talented. So Marek, I am sure, is a very talented person and understands how to use this stuff. He's not your sort of guy who started at the bottom of the ATN and has worked there for 40 years and he made his way to the top. Not that I'm saying that's a bad thing, but I... Um, do feel a bit more comfort that the person who's in charge of the smarter data at the ATO is not someone who's internal and has come from industry. Now, about uh, a year ago or a little more than a year ago, they talked about a Angie. So their their big tool is Angie, which is uh, an acronym and it's for Automated Network and Group Identification Engie. <laughs> Let me try that again. Automatic network, automated network and grouping identification engine. Jeez, no wonder they call it Angie because <laughs> I wouldn't want to say that all the time. Now, what Angie does is it maps um, corporate entities and related transactions. So it starts to go through this huge volume of data, um, looking at the different entities, looking at how these transactions are related, and it starts to stop spot patterns of things that might be of interest to look at. Um, and of course, that's that's you know where I've said a long a lot a lot of the time. I think the ATO have so much data; they should be able to identify the right people to be auditing and targeting, not just targeting at a random you know randomly. Although they can still do that. Now, in um, the first lot of reporting that they've done about some of the things that they've done was uh, in. 2023, they talked about superannuation, uh, particularly superannuation guarantee, and how they have um, pulled in $295 million worth of superannuation guarantee that has not been paid. Now, they've been working on this since 2018, and uh, that coincides with single-touch payroll uh, and reporting from the uh, superannuation funds, so there's the ability to match that data. And their success rate for the matching of the data and the shortfall of superannuation is 90%. So that's really a very good amount of um, data matching. I know I've been having discussions with clients lately about people who don't pay super and people who still don't pay super. And all I can say is it's going to change. I can't see how you can get away with not paying super 
um, in, into the future. It's just it's just going to be automated that, hey, we know you haven't paid it, here you go, and if you can't pay it, like you're going to have to liquidate your company. And just a reminder, if you're the person who's not paying super and you are liquidating your company, even um, though it is a company that's being liquidated, superannuation falls back to the directors, so you are personally liable for that as well. The other interesting thing they talked about with regard to artificial intelligence was um, I'm sure some of you remember the Panama Papers that came out a few years back, um, so where they released all these huge amounts of files of people who were using offshore entities to hide and um, pay, basically to avoid paying tax. Now, there were 11.5 million files that were released, so that was a lot of information for people to troll through. And so the ATO have been using this natural language processing to go through those papers and uh, quickly identify things that might be of interest to the ATO. Now, the 11.5 million files weren't all related to Australian taxpayers, but there would have certainly been within there some Australian taxpayers that were part of that. So um, with that, they have come up with $242 million worth of liabilities They've managed to collect $60 million in actual cash and finalised more than 535 audits and reviews as a result of that. So um, having people troll through 11.5 million files would have taken years and years and years, but they were able to expedite that process using artificial intelligence. Um, The next thing that they're talking about uh, they have been using it for is – What's a, a joint? There's a joint task force called the Phoenix ta- uh, Joint Agency Task Force, <laughs> Joint Agency Task Force called the Phoenix Task Force. Now that will be joint agency, I would imagine, with ASIC because um, if we know what phoenixing is, I will just explain it. If you're not sure, uh, in fact, it's very relevant to the story we just talked about before. Phoenixing is when you have a company that goes into liquidation um, and then pops up again the next day uh, or in the very short term afterwards. They go into liquidation so they don't have to pay their debts and then they pop up again in some other form and continue to operate. Now, illegal phoenixing um, activities do happen. There are actually people who promote these sorts of things as a way to save money and, uh, you know, they are illegal but they do happen and so... They've been using uh, the artificial intelligence by um, using graph analytics and looking um, to at the relationship between the data points and the gra- and the graph database. So, looking at that to try and find where these things are happening. Um, and again, with this, they have managed to get three hundred and four. They've managed to raise three hundred and four million dollars in liabilities. One hundred and eight million dollars in cash has been collected as a result of that in 2022-2023. So there you go. Now, that's just the start of it. I'm sure there's plenty more that's going to happen in the future. The ATO do publish um, data ethic principles and, of course, that's going to be incredibly important when you're using artificial intelligence. It is a part of the people who are working in that area have to abide by those um, data ethic principles. And Marek Rosinski, he has made it very, very clear that nothing is ever done without human oversight. So this is not meant to be another robo-debt situation. Um, Anything that is actually found using the artificial intelligence is then looked at by a human uh, before anything happens. So look, in my mind... 
the more that we can find those people who do think that our Australian tax system is a joke and that you can do things to get around it, uh, makes it fairer for the rest of us who do pay our taxes correctly. And if artificial intelligence helps find that quicker, so be it. He did also talk about the fact that it did they did use artificial intelligence in helping with this GST fraud schemes that we have been talking about recently, the TikTok, um, the TikTok fake GST claims. Now, some of it, yes, they definitely did stop some of that going through, but it did take a little bit of a while to catch up. I don't think that was because of artificial intelligence. I think it was just because it was so outside of the radar that no one was actually looking at it. But, yes, so they did use it for that as well. Okay, hopefully that's helped you a little bit and I'm sure we'll have more stories of how artificial intelligence is helping the ATO as we continue. So I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. As mentioned, next week we will be back with a slightly different version. So I will be back in your ears on Monday with the weekly wrap. I'll be recording that over the weekend. Uh, Probably won't go for more than about 15 to 20 minutes. And then we'll be back in your ears on Friday with our first episode of our new series of um, evergreen topics that we can talk about. So when I say evergreen, they're the ones that you can listen to in two years' time and they should still be pretty relevant. So have a good week, everyone. Um, I just want to wish Jade a happy birthday for last Friday. It was her birthday on Friday. I also want to wish my friend Kylie, who I know listens to this show regularly, happy birthday for today, the 28th. Um, She won't listen to this till Friday, but I will ring her and say happy birthday. I hope you all both had a lovely day and please follow us on social media. Please share us out with your friends and I look forward to being in your ears next, next week. And thank you, Joel, for producing this program. Yeah.